0: Well, it's no surprise if I tell you that we're uh, living in very um, uncertain times where everything's different and everything is different, not just from what we expected, but everything's different from what we've known. It's, it, it feels as though there's nothing the same as the way it used to be. Things that once we at once considered to be certain have been revealed as uncertain. I mean, it, it was a certainty that in August, kids would go to school. It's been revealed as uncertain. It, it, it was a certainty that if we had money in the bank or money in the market, we're going to be okay. That's, it, 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 was, it was a certain thing that we could at least go to dinner together in public. It was a certain thing that you could go to church without having to worry about being shut down, there, were, there are things that have always been certain that now, because of what's going on, have been revealed as very uncertain. See, certainty is a, the fact of an event that is definitely going to take place. I mean, that's what certainty is. It's the fact of an event that will definitely, certainly take place. And that's why this feels so difficult right now, because everything that used to be a fact that would certainly take place has not taken place. We should be on a football field on Friday nights right now. That was a certainty that would definitely take place as God Almighty intended. (laughs) And the opposite of certainty is uncertainty. And it's apprehension. It's defined when you have no idea what's going to happen next. Those are the times we're living in, right? Those are the times we're living in. We have no idea what's going to happen next. We have no idea if it's going to get better or if it's going to get worse. We have no idea. Because everything that used to be certain that was a fact would happen is revealed to be uncertain, and now we got no idea, and that causes a lot of people a lot of anxiety. So the question we have to ask, and this is what I've, I've, I've tried, we're trying to answer in this, in this series, is how do I feel safe and how do I feel secure when the world is shaken? And and even more personally, how do I feel safe and secure when my world is shaken? Because even before the coronavirus, some of your worlds were shook. Right? And if you haven't had a world that's been shook yet, you hadn't been alive long enough. Because you just live long enough and your world's gonna get shook. How do we find certainty in the midst of uncertainty? That's the question. And I want to go to the book of Psalm, and then we're going to go to the old, uh, a, a, a different book in the Old Testament to, to look at certainty in uncertainty. How to be certain in the midst of uncertainty. How to find certainty in uncertain times. And if you go, to, and all this is on the, on the app. If you follow along on the app, if you're, if you're with us virtually, follow along on the app, all this stuff is there. You can take notes and save it. Um, but Psalm 46:1, this, this is a verse that's become very near to my heart lately. It says, God is our refuge, and God is our strength. God is an ever-present help in trouble. To understand that and the weight of it and the importance of it, I want to explain what the words actually mean. Because granted, we don't use the word refuge very much anymore. And, and so what the, song, the writer of this passage is saying is God is our refuge. He means literally he's our shelter. In other words, he's the place that I run to for protection. God is the place that God isn't just a person or a being. God is the place that I run to for protection. And he says, God is our refuge. He's the place where I run to for protection. And he's our strength. This means literally whatever area of life you are weakened, be it mental physical, personal, social, political, God can be that strength for that area of weakness. This is great news if you believe it. And he's an ever-present help. That means literally he is exceedingly abundant in his help. He didn't throw you a bone just to get you by. He is exceedingly abundant in his help. He's an assistance that is encountered personally. This isn't some theoretical, ethereal idea that God might help out at some point, that if I do good enough, he'll be good enough. Like it's an assurance that he will give you abundant, exceeding help that you will experience personally. That's who God is. I get excited about this stuff, and I had a week off, and so I got a lot of extra energy pent up in me today. Which, by the way, Jeff did a great job last week, and I appreciate him doing that. This word refuge is key for certainty and uncertain times. The word refuge is most often used in the context of a threat. When there's danger around your life, be it physical or spiritual, In the context of a threat is when the Bible writers use the word refuge. Now, while we can't avoid the danger that is around, we can seek shelter from the danger that's around. And that's what he's talking about. Now, while God offers, this is an offer to God. He has offered to people who will believe in him through relationship with Jesus that he has offered the opportunity to be your refuge. Now, while the offer is there, you have to take advantage of it. Because if you don't take advantage of God as your refuge, you don't get the benefit of God as your refuge. Does that make sense? And there's a lot of people who have not taken advantage of the offer God has made them through relationship with Jesus, and they languish saying, God, why don't you do something? God says, I did, and I offered. You hadn't taken it. The action that's implied with God being a refuge is to place one's trust in the source of the shelter in order to receive the benefits of the shelter. It's an action where you literally take yourself, your life, your family, your kids, your business, your job, your finances, all the chaos that's going on, and you physically place that in the shelter of God as your refuge. It's more than hope. It's more than an idea. See, God wants us to, I don't know if we understand it. God wants us to enjoy the benefits of being his loved kids. Now, if you're a parent and you got more than one kid, this isn't very polite to say, but there might be one that you like more than the others because it don't cause you so much grief. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But, but let's, let's pretend like you loved them all the same. They're all your favorite. I mean, only God has that ability. Because face it, man, when some of our kids drive us crazy, we'd rather, you know, um, they were living with grandma and grandpa. Yes. But God wants us to enjoy the benefits of being his loved kids. And when we enjoy that, part of the benefits of being loved, the loved child of God is that we're filled with certainty in the midst of uncertainty. But God has to be our refuge. He has to be the place of our security. So let me ask this question. (laughs) Pretend like you're not in church so you'll be honest with the answer, okay? (laughs) Because I know in church the answer to everything is Jesus, right? So, (laughs) look, if you weren't in this place at this moment, answer the question who is your source of, of your security? Who is your source of your security? What is the source of your security? Could be a person, could be a thing. See, here's what happens. A lot of people, especially in the midst of uncertainty, turn to substances, develop habits to help them cope with insecurity and uncertainty, right? A lot of us do. We turn to substances, we turn to people, we turn to habits in an effort to to minimize the feeling of insecurity and uncertainty. And if you've ever done that, guess who is not your refuge? You understand? So Psalm 118, beautiful passage. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes, those with authority and power in this world. It's better to trust in the Lord when the writer of Psalm 118 says trust, he means literally to take refuge in. It's better to take refuge in, to trust wholeheartedly, to run to for protection, to confide in the Lord than it is what? Than it is to put your confidence to seek security or to feel safe in other people. I'm amazed. I am amazed at how many people claim to follow Jesus. And their lives run up and down based on what they hear from other people in their life rather than what God has said. One reason it's become so chaotic right now is because so many people in the church are listening to the news, talking their ear and on their screens and they get all freaked out and worried. Well, it's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in the news media. Wouldn't you agree? So why do we do it? This, to me, I, I, I want to tell, especially young people who are dating, be very careful. Because here's what happens in dating. There are some people who are so, and some of you are going to be offended by this, but that's all right. <laughs> You'll be okay. You can handle offense, no matter what people tell you. Some people are so insecure that they cannot go prolonged times without being in a relationship with someone. Why? Because they're putting their security in that person. And here's the danger. Now, we all do that at some level. I understand I put a lot of security in, our, in relationships with people, especially with my family, I understand. But here's the danger. In a dating relationship... When you seek a person for security, you're willing to give that person more of yourself to try to gain more security. And so what happens is you end up giving them the parts of your body that you're not supposed to give anybody in an effort to seek more security from them. You understand? I would ask for a show of hands of people with experience, but I'll not go down that road. And the Bible says it's better to take refuge, to run to God for protection and security, to confide in God in prayer, than to seek that security in other people. Jesus, if, if, if I haven't told you this yet, I want to tell you now and be very clear about it. Jesus is the only real source of certainty, He's the only source. And it's not through doing, it's through a relationship with Jesus. Now here's why this is so hard. Here's why this is so difficult for people to get. Because we want the certainty of God's protection. We want the certainty of God's deliverance. We want the certainty of God's presence. But we also want the absence of uncertainty, peril, and danger. And if we have the absence of uncertainty, peril and danger, you never come to realize the certainty of God's protection and power. Does that make sense? Well, see, we want God to be like a good spare tire. I want him around if I need them, but I hope I never need him. Right? That's how we do, that's how we do this thing. Like God, I, you're my protection, but don't ever let me be in a place of peril. Right? And so we never experience this. See, we cannot have certainty until one first experiences uncertainty. uncertainty. We cannot experience deliverance until one first encounters bondage. We can never experience protection until one first knows danger. So if God is going to be our refuge, what's the implication of that in our lives? They're going to need him. (laughs) See, here's the truth. You want to know the truth about me and you? Okay, so I'll tell you. (laughs) By nature, we are not trusting creatures. By nature, we're creatures of necessity. Here's what this means. We trust God when we're forced to trust God because our problems have gone beyond our abilities. That's what this means. Because by nature, we're not trusting up front until we have to be. We trust God when we're forced to, by peril, trust in him out of necessity. The rest of the time, if there's no necessity to trust him, we are fine by ourselves. Right? 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 Yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) There's people I know who live like this, but it's, it's it's not me. I mean, I got my stuff dialed in, you know what I'm saying? I just... See, if we can, here's the thing. If we can solve our problems by ourselves, we don't resort to prayer and trust in God because we don't need to trust him. I'm doing fine. Why would I need him? And, and I don't know if we would be so brass to actually say those words, but boy, that's how a lot of people live. See, it's only when we come to the end of ourselves and we're forced to be totally dependent upon Jesus right, right. that we begin to even experience the god of certainty and we do we we we, do, we work so hard in our lives to insulate ourselves from the need of him so we never get to the end of ourselves we never get to the deep dark depths of the pit because we've tried so hard to insulate ourselves from all of it. Because at the end of the day, I don't really know if he'll really be there. So I'd rather not get there while I've got to find out if he is there. And there are a few who have jumped into the pits. Because they knew that God was there. You understand? Psalm 33 the eyes of the Lord are on those who what? Fear him. On those whose hope is in his unfailing love. That word fear to me used to not make sense when I was coming up in church. I'm like, I'm not gonna be afraid of God. like. And then I realized how foolish I was. The Bible says, don't fear man that can destroy destroy the body. Fear the God who can destroy the soul and the body. It means there ought to be a healthy fear that says, I do not want to cross him. I'll cross anybody else, but I ain't going to cross him. The eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, have a reverence for him. Literally, Literally, it means this. God looks with favor on those who fear him and on those who trust him for their deliverance from overwhelming situations. That's who God looks with favor on. See, God's plan of working is to find people who trust in him and then bless them. That's his plan for working. If you were to read Psalm 33, you would see that all the people that he's talking about there are not described as strong, self-sufficient individuals. They're described as people who are in difficulty, facing famine, facing death. And it's when you're at those moments in life and you run to God for your refuge and trust and confide in him, that God then looks upon you with favor and favors you and shows up. Now it has been said, That people who learn to trust God, who really learn to trust him, must at some point have stripped away every human prop so that they look to God alone for deliverance. It's just, it's exactly what Paul said in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, Paul said, I do not want you to be uninformed. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant about this. Let me learn you up a little bit. He said about the troubles that we experienced in the province of Asia. Look how bad it got for Paul. We were under great pressure, far beyond our what? Ability to, because why? Because if we have the ability to endure, we don't need God. God. He says, we were past our own ability to get this thing done. We were so past our own ability that we despaired of life itself. Have you ever been in that situation when you're despairing of life itself? We're like, you know what? Heaven's better than earth. I'd rather be there than here. I'm done. Right? You've been at that place where it's so deep and it's so dark that you can't even know why there's a reason to get up in the morning. They're like, it's not gonna happen. We're done. The world has conspired against us and I don't see a way out and I don't know how it's gonna get better and I don't see a deliverance coming. We're done. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. The thing I love about God is He never levels the sentence of death. He always blesses with the sentence of life. That's good. Always. But this happened. All this pain. All this difficulty, All this concern. All this peril. It all happened that we might not what rely on ourselves. All this uncertainty that we're going through, not just globally, nationally, but in your specific personal life, all the uncertainty that you're going through, all the pain, all the peril, all the feeling as though you've been sentenced to death has happened for one reason, so that you don't rely on yourself, but that you rely on God as what? As your refuge and you run to him. Because why? Because he raises the dead, the blessing of life. This is good stuff. You better be taking notes or like remembering this stuff, man. I'm telling you, don't let me preach better than what you're listening right now. All right? Now listen, Hudson Taylor, British missionary to China. Incredible, incredible man. Went through incredibly difficult times, the loss of children, the loss of his wife. I mean, Hudson Taylor said this. You have proved the sufficiency of God only when you have trusted him for the impossible. See, what happens is so many times we get in impossible situations and we just think that maybe I'm not doing something right. I hope something happens. What should I do? What should I do? What should I do? You have proved the sufficiency of God when you have trusted him, when you've run to him as your refuge in the impossibilities of life. See, God continues to work for, God continues to work in, and God continues to work through helpless people who run to him as their refuge. If you haven't yet admitted that in these times of uncertainty, you are helpless, you will not put yourself in a position for God to work for you, for God to work in you, or for God to work through you. He has to become your refuge. You know what the result of all that is? No, girl, what's the result? Thank you for asking. I'm going to tell you what that result is. Psalm 33, here's the result of it all. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our what? Our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice. For we trust in his holy name, who he has claimed to be, because his names reveal his character. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. The, as I hope in you, your love will be with me. See, what it means is as I trust in him, as I have, as I have confidence in his character and his ability, that's what his names, that's what his names say. As I trust and confide and trust him as my refuge. In his character and his ability, I will both feel safe and I will be secure. That's the result of it. Literally, what this means is life becomes carefree. Not out of negligence, not out of ignorance, not out of apathy, but life becomes carefree because there is an unshakable certainty in the refuge in whom you take. So, let me ask you this. Does that not out of negligence or or, or or ignorance, but because there's this incredible bedrock foundation of the refuge that you take in? Does your life feel carefree? Are you carefree? Not out of negligence, but because there's this foundation bedrock of the refuge in who you seek. Is your life carefree? If it's not, you haven't understood. God as your refuge. This is what's waiting for you. This is what's being offered to you. How many of you are professional warriors? You know what I'm saying? Like, two or three of you in this place, you are li- your li- warriors and you' liars. You're <laughs> saying right now, that's like the double whammy. <laughs> Some of us are professional warriors, right? The reason why we are professional warriors, w- warrior, warriors is because we haven't really understood and trusted God as our refuge. Because if he is our refuge, what is there to worry about? So let me get to my message. We have three pe- there's <laughs> There's three young men in the book of Daniel. I don't want to look at it just quickly here. And you might have heard or if you've been around the, the church world any length of time you might have heard the fiery furnace the story of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. That's some good names right there. Shadrach. Shadrach. I'm going to give me a scholarship, Shadrach. <laughs> My babies need shoes. Monique and Unique, I'm going to give me a I'm going to give me a Abednego. If any of you are looking, you're looking for baby names, right? I'm t- no, you're not? Who's, anybody looking for baby names? Nobody knows. Yeah, you don't want to raise your hand? I'm just saying, there's some good baby names in the Bible. I guarantee you, nobody else in their class is going to be named some of these names. Mephibosheth, that's a good name. If I, I want to name our two youngest boys, I want to name them Thor and Otto. That would have been some good names right there. Little ball boy running around named Otto. That's a good name. That, I, that's tight, right? What? Four? That's like Roth backwards. How do you get better than that? When Miranda's going to have my first grandbaby, I want him to call me Papa Thanos. That would have... Thanos, that's a good name. Where was I? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now these weren't, these were three young men and their world was in complete uncertainty. Everything they knew, everything that was certain had proved to be uncertain. And so what did they do? They held on to the only things that they could hold on as certain. God's power, his priority in their lives, and their obedience to him. And they trusted God as their refuge. To, to understand what was going on in their lives, the nation of Israel divided in 12 tribes, 10 in the north, 2 in the south. This other nation called Assyria came down and did war with the 10 tribes of the north and just decimated, decimated them. Took them off. So Assyria was in power. Then this huge world power called Babylon came down, took over the Assyrians and came down into the nation of Israel and took over the, the two remaining tribes and took them as captives back to Babylon. And what the Babylonians did is they, all, they searched for the best and the brightest. I mean, the best, people like me, the, the <laughs> best looking, uh, the, the, to, to, then, to then take them as captives and slaves, but employ them in the work of the government. And what they did is they changed everything about their captives. They didn't eat the same foods that they used to eat back home. They didn't learn. They they learned all the education of the Babylonians, not the education that they were learning back home. They had no family members near them at all anymore. Even they took even their 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 opportunity to worship away from them. Like they couldn't even worship. And not only that, they robbed them of their own identity. See, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that were not their names. That wasn't their names. Their names were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They were named after faith and the God of their faith. Hananiah meant Yahweh is gracious, He gives us grace. Mishael was named who is like God. Nobody compares to him. Azariah was named Yahweh is our helper. They were named after the character and the heart of God. And when they went to Babylon, they were robbed even of that. Because Hananiah's name was changed from Hananiah to Shadrach, which meant he is the commander. He's under the command of Aku, who was their moon god. They stripped him even of his faith. Mishael, his name was changed to Meshach which means who is like our God, Aku? You think your God's special, our God is greater. If your God was better than our God, you wouldn't be in so much pain and peril right now. Azariah, his name is changed to Abednego, which means the servant of Nebo, that was their God of wisdom. Have you ever been at that place where because of pain and difficulty, and you've lost your own very Identity? This is where these young men were. Everything was stripped away from them. Everything, that had, everything had become uncertain that once was certain. And the man running the country is named Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> and this is their story. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 90 feet high and nine feet wide, and set it up in the plain of Dura, in the province of Babylon. He summoned the satraps, prefects, pre- governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, masters, all the government leaders. Let's just say that. Uh, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he set up. So the government leaders and all the other provincial officials assemble for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar set up, and they stood before it. So you've got this foreign leader in this foreign country, this pagan nasty place, and he summons everybody, of which Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are apart part with all the officials because they're in his royal court to come worship before this huge gold statue. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are facing a dilemma. Because King Nebuchadnezzar, the command was, when you hear the music, bow down and worship. And so, as he commanded, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zithers, all these music stuff. All the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshiped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar set up. So all the music happens. Everybody sound. The, the band starts playing. And everybody, boom, hits the ground. Except for. Most likely, this huge Statue. Was an or to the image of the divine power of Nebuchadnezzar himself, and to bow and worship, of, to bow down before, was the recognition of Nebuchadnezzar as the divine power, and would have been in stark contrast to the command of God: "Have no other gods before me; worship the Lord your God only." But they, but but what are they to do? They're teenage boys. Everything's stripped away. Life is uncertain. What do they do? At this time, some astrologers came forward to denounce the Jews. There's some Jews among you, King Nebuchadnezzar, who've set over the affairs of the Pons of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, by the way, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image you've set up. Furious with rage, because corrupt power is always concerned with their reputation, right. Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, So these men were brought before the king Nebuchadnezzar and said to him, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you don't serve my gods or worship the image of gold I set up? Now, again, probably the image of gold was in reference to his divine power. He said, why don't you give me my due? Now, when you hear the sound of all this music, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you don't worship it, you'll be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God's going to rescue you from my hand? Then where's your refuge? Then where's your shelter? You were named after him. Where is he now? If he were so big and powerful, you wouldn't be hurting so bad, right? So he says, if you're ready to fall down and worship, good. We got no problem. If you don't worship it, you're going to be thrown into a fiery furnace and it's going to get real bad real quick. Because after all, (laughs) who do you think this God is? Look at this. Look at this. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he'll deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he doesn't, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you've set up. Do you notice the honor that they paid to this bad leader? They still address him as your honor, your majesty. There's a lot here we could talk about, but I don't want to, because this starts messing with my life. They said, we affirm God's ability to deliver. Even if he doesn't, we will trust him. So the question you and I are left with in the midst of uncertainty is, is your faith, and even if he doesn't, faith? That's the question we're left with. Is your faith, and even if he doesn't, faith? I trust him. He's my refuge. He can and he will. But even if he doesn't, I'm not backing down. I'm not changing my stance. I'm not changing my tune. Now, let me just ask this. I, I know that my time is up. But, it, I told you I missed last week and I got some energy. So, can I just finish with a couple things? You got nowhere to go. Everything's shut down. <laughs> You're going to leave him go sit outside at the beautiful diner with great food in the heat and the and, and muggy right now? The heat and muggy will be, be there when, you, when I'm done. Just sit tight for a little bit. Here's the question, and this gets real practical. What do you do about abusive power and corrupt institutions? As a Christ follower... What do you do about abusive power and corrupt institutions? Because this is where Shadrach and, Amish, and Meshach and Abednego were living, right? right, right. Abusive power and corrupt government. Mm-hmm. What do you do? What's the Christian do? 1 Peter 2. Well, I started talking about this in my Bible study on Wednesday. We got into it a little bit. It was good. 1 Peter 2 says this, you submit to authority. How's that sound? Y'all wearing masks? The Bible says submit to authority. It says honor all people, fear God, and honor the governor. I wish that last part wasn't in there because that's a hard one. So we submit to authority. What if it's bad leadership? Submit to authority. What if it's abusive power? Submit to authority. What if it's corrupt institutions? Submit to authority unless, unless the abusive power and corrupt institutions forbids us from doing what God commands or commands us to do what God forbids. Do you understand? Then we have the right and the responsibility to move against it. Abusive power, corrupt institutions unless, if they are forbidding to do what God commands or commanding to do what God forbids, both ethically, morally, personally, spiritually, in every way, then we have the opportunity, the responsibility to do something. And you know what we do? It's called civil disobedience. It's called civil disobedience. Please understand this. The solution to bad governance is not no governance. That's anarchy. The solution to bad governance is not no governance. Anarchy is the overthrow of law. It's a Marxist revolt. And that's not the solution. Civil disobedience is this, in the midst of bad authority appealing to a higher authority. It's the midwives in Exodus that were under Bad, corrupt leadership and government commanded to drown the babies who revolted in civil disobedience, applying, appealing to a higher authority. And Moses is real thankful that they did. Yes. <laughs> it's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that in reverence and honor still disobeyed a command that prevented them doing what God had commanded. It's Daniel. Being told, don't do this. Well, I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to go to my room, open the windows and pray. Just like I always have you, throw me in jail if you want to. It's Peter who both civilly disobeyed evil uh, in, in a bad way and in the right way. Peter was out of line when he practiced civil disobedience, when he was in the guard with Jesus. And the corrupt police force came to arrest an innocent man. And Peter took out his sword and cut off Malchus's ear. And what did Jesus say? Hey, hey. Put the sword back. Ain't time to fight. He was chastised for it because it was wrong. But later, he did it right. When he was arrested for preaching, they put, beat him up and put him in jail. And they released him. Don't preach anymore. Guess what he did? He wouldn't preach anymore. <laughs> so there is evil civil disobedience and there's biblical civil disobedience. We've got to be very careful about this. But Christians are to honor God's authority over man's authority every time. But it's never right for Christians to riot in violent revolt. That's not civil disobedience. And so when those times come to disobey civil authority, because it violates what God commands or commands something that God has said You disobey honorably and you appeal to higher authority and say, God, you are my refuge and you are my strength and I will run to you because you, after all, are sovereign over all. You set up kingdoms and you tear down kingdoms and I will rely on you. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, great theologian during World War II, understood how evil and satanic Adolf Hitler was, and was a part of a group to plant a bomb in the assassination attempt of Adolf Hitler. He thought he was doing God's job. He thought that was a worthy civil disobedience act. Most of us would agree, yeah, go ahead. It failed. After that happened, he confessed that he was convicted by the Holy Spirit because that was not his to do, it was God's. Crazy, isn't it? So, let me just let me just paraphrase this and get it for you here. So they said, we're not going to bow. And at that, Nebuchadnezzar got so irate, he told them to heat the furnace up seven times as hot as what it normally is, as if it wasn't bad enough. And some of the strongest people in the army came and they bound up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they threw them in the furnace. It was so hot, the furnace, that the guys who were bringing them to the furnace were burned up themselves without even getting in the furnace. I mean, this was insane. And they threw them in. But then something happened. King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three of them that we tied up and threw? And they said, absolutely. He said, then why, are, why do I see four walking around in the fire? And the other one that we didn't throw in, they're all unharmed, but the one we didn't throw in looks like the son of the gods. If we threw four, three and why are there four? You know why? Because suddenly, because they obeyed God and sought him as their refuge, God showed up in the midst of them. God entered into their story. And watch what happened because of that. Nebuchadnezzar got close to the entrance and he shouted, hey, servants of the most high God. That's the Hebrew word El Elyon, the most high exalted God, the God above all gods, the God that actually showed up when I didn't think he was going to. Then I tried to convince you it wasn't that God. Come out. And everybody gathered around. And they saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor a hair on their heads was since their robes were scorched, and they didn't smell like smoke. And Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel to rescue his servants. They trusted in him, and they defied the key's command, and were willing to give up their lives rather than worship any God except their own God. No other God can save in this way. Here's what we have to know. Here's what we have to know. When God is our refuge, God will send his angels to enter into your story. That's what he will do. He will send his angels to enter into your story. Hebrews 1.14 says, aren't all angels ministering servants sent to us who are his kids? Understand angels are God's ministering spirits that he will send to you when you seek him as your refuge in very real and practical ways. Now here's the problem. Angels only do what God commands them to do. They don't do anything of their own accord. They will only do what God commands them to do. Do you know how to get God to send your angel? Because you've got an angel if you're a follower of Jesus. you know how to get God to send your angel to you to work on your behalf when you're in uncertain times and in peril and in a furnace so he'll rescue Do you know how to activate that angel? Luke 12. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Whoever publicly acknowledged me before others... The Son of Man, Jesus, will acknowledge them before whom? Before the angels of God. Because angels stand at the ready to do what God says do. And they have to respond to God's word. They stand at the ready when you're in the furnace, when you're in the fire, when you're in the peril, to stand at the ready because God is your refuge to enter into your story and to rescue you and to save you and to help you. And they're like, go ahead, God, just give me the word. Give me the word. Give me the word. And Jesus sits across there and he says, no, no, stand down. Since they haven't acknowledged me wow. before man, they're seeking their refuge in another person. They're not acknowledging me. They're seeking their refuge in the market. They're not acknowledging me. They're seeking their refuge in substance. They're not acknowledging me. You know why a fourth entered the furnace? Because the three said, we will, God is our refuge and we believe he will and we believe he can but even if he doesn't he remains my refuge and so when the angels were at the ready and they said God they're getting close to the furnace God the fire's getting hot God the flames are getting loud. God says go get them <laughs> you understand that would have never happened had they not relied on God and God alone as their refuge yeah. Yeah. they'd have still made it to heaven but they would have sure smelt like smoke do <laughs> <laughs> you understand wow. They didn't smell like what they went through. Someone needs to write that down. That's a good one. I'm going to call you next time I preach. I need a good word. Here's the deal. When we run to come up here, band, you got to start playing stuff. I'm going to keep going. When we run to God as our refuge, God promises to enter your story. When you, God, you run to God as your refuge, he promises to be your deliverer. That is who he is. In the midst of uncertainty, God invites us to go to him as our refuge. So when you are certain in uncertain times and other people see you and they say, why aren't you worried? Why aren't you scared? All hell is breaking loose right now. You say, God is my refuge and God is my strength. What do I have to be afraid of? Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. No weapon formed against me, not even a virus is, can prevail against me. Why, he's my refuge. Why am I afraid? And the moment you do that, guess what happens? The angels show up. And the moment you do that, the flames can't touch you anymore. And the moment you do that, God looks good. Certainty in uncertain times. God is my refuge. Of whom shall I fear? God is my refuge. Of whom shall I be afraid? And so today declare Jesus, you are my refuge. In you, I find my security. In you, I find my security in the midst of uncertainty. Today, I choose to take refuge in you and you alone. I have assurance that you are my protection, that you are my provider and that you are my God. Therefore, I will not fear. Pray with me. Almighty God, you and you alone are our refuge. There are some in this place who run to you first and foremostly. And for those of us who do, send your angels to be amongst us and with us, delivering us from the fire, delivering us from the flame, our protection and danger, our certainty and uncertainty. You are our refuge. There are some in this place right now that have never put their faith and hope and trust in you, Jesus. And in this moment, Holy Spirit, I ask that they would. You may need to be the one this morning that says, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to put my faith in you. And I want you to be my refuge. Forgive me of my sin. I believe that you're the only way to salvation, and I commit to follow you best I can. God, you are our refuge. In whom shall we fear? God, you are our refuge. In whom shall we be afraid? Jesus, you have said that you are living water for our souls. In this moment, be that holy water in our lives.